Each choice we make moves us toward fear or love. On my Life and Laughter podcast, we'll talk about those choices and learn how to attract more love and connection and laughter. This is Perry Kinder. Let's get started. Hey, Life and Laughter listeners, welcome back to my podcast today. It is a beautiful sunny day in Utah, although it is still very, very cold. And speaking of very, very cold, we have a a very warm guest who's been living in a very cold place for the last month or so. Um, And before I get talking, I have Nan Seymour as my guest today, and I wanted to express um, my condolences, my heart to your your family in Turkey. I know you have family and friends living in Turkey and want to express... You know, my hope for their safety and their their well-being, because that's that's tough. Yeah, thank you so much. That means a lot to us. Um, but Nan Seymour, she's I think you're fascinating. So just hang on to the <laughs> hang on while I read your bio here. <laughs> Nan, <laughs> Nan is a poet, a storyteller, a nature advocate dedicated to repairing the breach between humans and the beyond human world. Throughout the 2022 Utah State Legislative, I mean 2023 Utah State Legislative Session, Nan is serving as a poet in resident on Antelope Island, which is in the middle of the Great Salt Lake, leading six-week day and night vigils for the Great Salt Lake through March 4th, through the end of the session. During the vigil, she is assembling more than 2,500 lines of poetry and praise. The resulting poem, called Irreplaceable, is a collective love letter to the lake, containing over 400 individual voices from a myriad of perspectives. The size of the poem exceeds the square miles area of the lake bed, and is a community cry for the lake's restoration. You also had a debut poetry collection in 2021, um, Prayers Not Meant for Heaven, which was published. So welcome, Nan, to my podcast. Thank you so much. I'm so glad to be here. Yeah, so tell me about what, how this vigil of being on the lake, how it came about, and how, how it's been going. Yeah, so it actually started um, in the first vigil was was in 2022, and it corresponded with the state legislative session, and now we're in the middle of the second vigil. Um, So by keeping vigil, what I really mean is being physically present um, with the lake during a time of peril. And the sentence that I use to describe this is to say, um, when the life of someone you love is at stake, you stay with them. Mm-hmm. And um, myself and the other vigil keepers, that is our primary calling with the vigil is to be present, um, both body, heart, and mind to be present during this time of peril and to recognize um, the lake as a sentient um, ancestor, uh, a neighbor, a mother for some people, um, but to hold the lake in, in uh, a relational way, um, to not think uh about the lake as just a resource, you know? Um, so we're really moving away from objectifying to um, both being with the lake and speaking of the lake in a, in a relational sense. So those are some of the things about the vigil. There's more about the why, but I'll leave it there. <laughs> <laughs> That's beautiful. And for people who don't live in Utah, you know, the Great Salt Lake is this, you know, natural wonder. They, they come here to see it. Um, so tell us a little bit for people who might not know about, about the lake's peril. I mean, we, it's at the lowest point yeah. ever in recorded history. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. yeah so of- I'm a latecomer. I want to first identify myself as not a scientist, no kind of uh, expert, someone who's loved birds for a long time. So I paid attention to the lake for that reason, but I wasn't aware 
of the um, the real, genuine state of peril, and and now you would just it's accurate to call this an active collapse of an ecosystem. Um, it's unfortunately accurate to say that, but I learned about it from listening to Dr. Bonnie Baxter, who is one of the scientists at Great Salt Lake Institute at Westminster. She was uh, she did an interview with Doug Fabrizio on Radio West um, sometime a year ago in the summer, and then I didn't hear the interview until September. And so I think for a lot of people, that first interview of a series Radio West ended up doing was the clarion call to um, this situation. We, you know, scientists have been calling for help for a while, but no one was listening, frankly, including myself. So I just, I want to say I was also late to pay attention, but when it caught my attention, it caught my full attention. Um, Because the lake is, um, it is the heart of this bioregion and also an essential um, component of, it's hemispherically essential. That's important to understand. It's not just one of the wonders of Utah, which it is, um, but it is actually the heart of life in this whole region. And for 10 million birds, it's an essential uh, migratory stop. And um, 10 million birds, that's you know, huge, like, yeah. and that's not an exaggeration, all over 330 species depend. So all this life. And then the thing that I knew nothing about that is really helpful to understand is as the lake level has been dropping, which has to do with two things, both a drought, but also human interference. So diversions, dams, um, mismanagement, outdated water policies. And so the good news about that second thing is that those are things we can address. This is harm we've been doing that we can stop. Right. So this lake level drop is because of that. And one of the most, uh, perilous aspects is it's exposed the microbialites and because i didn't know that word a year and a half ago i'll just tell (laughs) tell your listeners what that is in case they don't know so microbialites are essentially living rocks um they are uh geology doing chemistry to make biology is one nerdy way a scientist friend explains i know right it's a little (laughs) mind-blowing yeah so they're actually they have to live under in shallow waters under the water and they metabolize light into life, and they create um, a home for the two uh, systems, brine flies and brine shrimp, that are the bird food for all these birds. Right. So this, those are the keystone species. They're like the platforms of life, microbialites, brine shrimp, brine flies, but in saline seas, that's what we have. And so that whole system is kind of akin to a coral reef, if you want to think about how important it is. And as the lake level is dropped and the microbialites are exposed, they die. They can't live in the air. They need water. Um, and so this, now we have over 70% of our microbialites exposed, which is leading wow. to the collapse That's huge. of brine, brine, brine shrimp. And so even if we kept, um, and there's also the problem of increasing salinity. Mm-hmm. So the increasing salinity is also killing these keystone species. Wow. So yeah, it's, it so is it's just, genuinely catastrophic. It's a massive um, cluster, basically. Yeah. Yeah, and people are also concerned, and justly so, about the exposed lake bed uh, and the toxic dust storms that will and already are happening from that exposed lake bed. But I like to um, illuminate these other points because even if we had water, if it was too saline, the salinity is too concentrated, we will have dead water. Mm. We won't have the active living heart. So even if we cover the dust that might you know, really harm the humans and everyone else in the area. Um, there's still this question of the life and the vitality of the lake. 
It's a super important question. Yeah. Yeah, there's so many interconnected pieces to the lake. I mean, and, and, yeah. we, and we didn't we didn't really think about that until it's, it was dying. Right. And Me too. Yeah, Me too. you just don't. It was just the Great Salt Lake. It was. It's always been there. It'll always be there. And yeah. and now it's down. Um, I think they want to raise it nine feet. Is that correct? That's the yeah. goal. to bring it up nine feet back up. Yeah. So if it, it's uh, currently at four thousand one hundred and eighty nine, and the goal that was put before the legislature but not adopted. Um, got killed in committee, but there's a resolution to adopt a statewide goal of 4,198 feet. Um, and that nine foot difference would bring us into the very bottom of the sustainable living hmm. level. So it's the, so very, the very foot, least we could do. It's the least. That, thank you. That's a perfect thing. It's the least we can do. And also an essential thing to do is to state that goal and, and move towards it. So it was very disheartening that we didn't state it. Uh, and I think that yeah. was political, unfortunately. Yeah, um, but we have to, we have to like lay our differences aside and move towards life. You yeah. Know? So there, there's been a, a couple of bills, legislation hoping to address this. How have you felt we've done with that so far this, this session? I mean, this is such a Here's dire the, situation. It's, it's it is, dire. It is, you know, it's really hard to talk about because it is um, we admit we missed a key opportunity and not and not adopting that goal and and what, and what the other what measures the that have been taken oh so go ahead so what was the reason why why did they think that wasn't wasn't a resolution they needed to adopt the reason stated didn't make any sense to me but the person speaking the only person who spoke against it and then four people voted against it without speaking. Hmm. Um, uh, he said it wasn't a holistic goal. That, he said that twice. What does that you mean? Could, it's, on, it's in public comments, and it's, uh, it was Senator Sandal, and he said it, was, it would be too much of a stake in the sand and that it wasn't a holistic goal, and that frankly makes no sense yeah, to me. Yeah, that doesn't even, those words together don't make sense. <laughs> no, it didn't. I, I, I'm afraid that it was about trying to stay out of accountability Honestly, I mean, that's a little hard to say, but I will say that I feel like it was we don't want this accountability because once you make a goal, even though it was a non-binding resolution, it had no teeth, it right. required no funding, which was all the more reasons I thought they would adopt it. Sure. Um, but I think for the reasons it would work to say this is our statewide goal, they didn't take it. Yeah. I mean, not, you're not asking them to invest billions of dollars into raising the water level. It's just... Let's just say that we have a goal that we want to bring it back up to a, a healthy, the least level we can possibly do. I know there was a, a bill that came before the legislature about um, having golf courses be responsible for measuring their water, tracking their water, and it was held. <laughs> you know, it didn't go very far. And I thought it was interesting. One of the reasons was because we didn't want to shame the golf courses. I thought that was just the funniest statement. We don't want to shame the golf courses, even if it can help save our lake, which is an ecosystem that keeps us alive here but we don't want to make the golf courses feel bad <laughs> but that was just, yeah just the most ridiculous we, we're gonna statement. have to not worry about feelings of golf courses <laughs> yeah yeah i, I mean really, they have like, feelings. we really have to right yeah it's a funny thing <laughs> i hadn't heard that statement and it's funny but it, but it does illuminate something like we will have to think in ways we haven't thought of before we will have to take levels of responsibility we have been unwilling to take um we have to live within our means in terms of water. We This isn't a place that can have lawns. Can we still have golf courses? Sure. But we need to know how much water they're using. That, yeah. should, that just should be a transparent 
amount of, um, and you know, can we have as many as we have? Maybe not. And it would make sense to, for instance, keep public parks with some lawns for children and dogs, but not every house and not every church. So, right. you know, we have to change our ways and that's uncomfortable for everybody. It's not the easiest thing. And this is where we are. Like there's, there's not, um, the clock is ticking, frankly. Uh, the clock is ticking on the viability of our ecosystem. Um, so we might get more radical, just like you would if someone you love is dying. And this is how we, you know, we who keep vigil hold the lake. Well, you move in a different way. Mm. You know, yeah. you like someone in my family recently uh, wasn't having a heart attack, but that was a possibility. And so ended up in the ER in heart uh, care. And it was really stunning and very moving. Um, my brother, who's a doc, actually told me this term that <laughs> made me cry, actually. There's a golden, they call it the golden hour. And you have, from the time someone walks through the ER door or is in an ambulance as a heart patient, there's an hour um, that if you can get them in appropriate care within that hour, their chances of living are exponentially increased and I can't remember the number but they they all know it and they move like that's true and you wouldn't believe the efficiency how quickly someone is um got an IV and is attached to an EKG and that is happening because they are not wasting a second and they're not moving frantically they're moving with a steady sureness right um but but as if every minute counts because it does Mm. and this is how we need to move now this is how we need to be every I know it's happening in a time frame we're not used to considering, but it's happening kind of in slow motion, but it's happening. So every move matters, every minute matters, and we can't be worrying about the feelings of golf courses. So this is the golden hour for the lake. This is the time we have it's to be It's the golden efficient. hour. You know, exactly. It's so much, we talk about conservation. It, it, I think for so many, so many people, it's just an overwhelming term. You know, how do we save a lake? I mean, how... I think we move into a state of fear and helplessness and hopelessness. And, you know, what can I do about it? I'm just, you know, I'm just a homeowner. I'm just a resident. But but moving toward, like you said, moving toward the love of the lake, the love of the ecosystem, the love of everything around there. How do we get people to move just toward love, not even to fix the problem, but just toward love? Yes, I love that question, Perry. It's so beautiful um, because we can stay with this kind of medical analogy and I think there's some a lot to learn. So my brother taught me, my brother who's a doc also taught me how to be with someone um, who is in um, critical care. Like you are their family member in the hospital. So you're their witness. What are you going to do in, in the name of love? What will you do? Here's what you can do that makes a difference in this. And I'll bring this forward to say how it applies to the lake. You are the person there who is paying attention on behalf of the person who's probably unconscious or at least in some critical condition. So you are a witness of everything that happens and you can quietly write down everything that happens because the medications given, the timing of things, the humans doing that, they are, they're fantastic. People who do medical care have all my respect and they're, and they're also fallible and a mistake could be made. So you, you keep your quiet record you, you thank everyone who comes in the room, everyone who comes to help your beloved. You say thank you. You let them know that they are seen by someone who cares and appreciated by someone who cares. So you are thanking everyone. In the realm of the lake, this would be a scientist, the, the lawmakers who are brave about legislation, 
They would be the activists. Um, you are communicating with them. You're saying, thank you for coming. Meanwhile, you're keeping your own record because your record might matter too, right? And so you're, you're offering your presence. You're, you're there with your calm and steady presence. You're offering your witness. You're recording what happens. And when necessary, you are offering your gratitude to everyone who shows up. And when necessary, you are using your voice. And this is the part I want to underline. If there is a mistake and you know it, you're going to use your voice. Sure. And it doesn't mean you're disrespectful. You're going to start from the most respectful and kind place. Oh, look, this happened and you might not be aware of it, right? But if, but if the life that you love continues to be in peril and someone is insistently harming, you're going to get louder. Yeah. You're going to stand in the way of someone who might harm their body. Um, you would stand in the way. That's ultimately where it would go. You would put your body between the life of the beloved and the life of the person who's harming. So, like, all of those degrees of witness matter, and they are things that anyone could do. And, I, you know, because if you think about it, you would do it in that situation, right? Absolutely. In a hospital yep. 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 care about yeah. Um, and it looks different. It looks different from different. What does it look like to use your voice? That can look different for everybody. Maybe you go up and you speak on the hill. Maybe you talk to your neighbors. Maybe you take an op-ed that is meaningful. My aunt did this. I wrote an op-ed. My aunt lives um, not close to me. She lives in Alpine. She, I wrote an op-ed about the rights of Great Salt Lake to live and be restored. Uh, we call this rights of nature. She copied it and gave it to everyone in her neighborhood and wrote, wrote her own endorsement on it. Wow. Like, I endorse this. Um, and she gave a copy to everyone in her neighborhood. I love that. Uh, it's one, to me, it's one of the most moving things that's happened in my activism is that my, my aunt did that. Like, I was just, we don't, and I will say this, my aunt and I, we don't share the same religion. We don't agree politically. We, ha- we are not aligned with everything. And she crossed over those divides to amplify my voice in relation to the lake it means wow. so much. To me. Wow. And that's right? what we need to do. We need to cross lines, amplify voices, you know, get the word out, just not be afraid to, to speak up. And even right. if it feels hopeless and helpless, I mean, it, it's never over. We, we just, right. unless, unless we give up. Absolutely. Yeah. That's absolutely the case. Um, there's a term uh, that I learned from a book that I recommend to everyone called River Republic. It's a book by Daniel McCool, who's a, a professor at the University of Utah, about river restoration, and it catalogs a decade of river restoration, successful restoration of rivers mm. around the whole country. Um, so it's an, it's an encouraging read, and you'll learn a lot about water policy and a lot of valuable things in this book. But my favorite aspect is he identifies um, how does restoration happen. It's always against the odds. It's always against the powers that be. And he identifies um, the people who make it happen as instigators. Hmm. And he and he said, and he's, you know, he's watched this over a decade, decade, so he's recording a pattern. And he's saying instigators are ordinary, brokenhearted people who persist. Hmm. Um, and they are outside the ordin they are outside the realms of power and they and and influence and wealth. But most often they are just people with broken hearts who keep showing up. And that is how change happens. Wow. That's so powerful. <laughs> Isn't it? Yeah. It's like anyone who's within yeah. the sound of our voices right now, you can be an instigator. Right. You can be an instigator. And that is how it happens. Hmm. That's where yeah. it, that's, that is a much more powerful place than we know. And bring your broken heart with you. Yeah. 
So tell me about your vigil. Um, what, what, when did you start? What, when did you first get onto the island? Yeah. Um, well, this, this one began on January 18th. And we'll end March. March 4th is our last kind of hurrah. We'll be doing poetry and music out there and <laughs> celebrating the life of the lake. We, on the weekends, we have a lot of programming ways for people to come out and meet the lake and interact, walks to the water. Uh, we have writing workshops. We drum, we sing, we do all this stuff. So that's what goes on at the vigil on the weekends. And there's all of those things are open um, there are on my website events that people can come to for people that can't make it there. Um, and also, or, or if you can, we also have a daily meditation at 7am on zoom with the invitation to sit with the lake. And it's just a 20 minute silent meditation and people are coming from other States to um, participate in that. It's wow. really beautiful. So that's an invitation to anyone who listens um, but yeah, so this is a six week, it's like a 47 day, night and day scenario. It's meant to correspond with the legislative session as the first one did. Um, so, you know, it's, it's cold, but there are no bugs. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. Yeah. The cold does, is that's the only good thing about the cold. Cause yeah, uh, for people who don't yeah. know, it is freezing and Utah has been really, really cold <laughs> this winter. And I was watching some of your videos and I just, I'm cold just watching you <laughs> as you're, you have your big furry hat on and you're showing the view from your camper. I think, oh, she has got that some big ones because I, I couldn't do it. Yeah. No, you know, the camper is uh, warm enough. The camper stays warm. We're plugged in. I have space heaters. I'm, I'm not like, and this is important to understand, like, I'm not some kind of hardcore camper who has, you know, like I love the outdoors, but I'm not a person who's actually tremendously qualified to do this. It's just that the lake asked me to come. Hmm. And I say that so that if your listeners feel like the lake is calling to you, she is like, this is a great neighbor, a great intelligence calling for help. If you're hearing that, if you're feeling that, that's real. Yeah, that's real. And that's really all I'm doing is responding to a specific cry for help. That's what happened the first year. I just received an invitation to to get out there. Wow. Um, and I didn't, I knew it wasn't my own idea because what a crazy idea. <laughs> you know, like, it's I was like, going to live on an island in the middle of a dying lake in the freezing of cold of winter. <laughs> I didn't have a camper. I didn't have the, you know, like I, I knew that it wasn't, it wasn't just like my habitual pattern, right? Like I was like, oh, <laughs> Okay, this is interesting. And I really do hold that it's the lake's idea. And she brought it to me in a dream kind of like state, which is one of the ways I receive some of the poetry around the lake. Um, um, I think she's a great communicator, actually. Think of how water remembers. We know that is scientifically accurate. And you think about this water um, being a terminal basin, meaning the water isn't going elsewhere. Like this, the memory of this water, um, the intelligence of this water uh, is extraordinary and ancient um, ancient just ancient yeah yeah wow so tell me a little bit about about the poem you're putting together irreplaceable um yeah i know it's a collective of voices how does that work irreplaceable was the lake's idea too and this poem is actually was the work of the first vigil so that's i can make sure you have a link it's online people could um see that this is what was assembled during the first oh, vigil. Okay. We're doing some, yeah, we're doing some other kinds of um, po- collective poems now. I call them water cycles. People that come out and write, we end up making a collective poem. And it might become all 
the body of work in, within that I might be named irreplaceable. But the poem that exists is over 4,000, no, sorry, over 400 voices, over 2,500 lines long. Um, and it's just all of the folks that gathered around the first vigil, and I would invite lines. Sometimes people brought whole verses. So there are choruses that are polyphonic, like um, a gathering, for instance, of Friends of Great Salt Lake. I, get, I reaped 80 specific lines of, like, I just asked people, like, give me a specific memory or, or reason you love the lake. And they would be so, they're so stunning because they're so utterly specific to relationship mm. and then I just took those 80 lines and I wove them together in quatrains in a way that um, creates quite a long and beautiful poem so that's an example of a chorus and then people also submitted whole verses there's about oh. 50 individually voiced verses from many different kinds of people um, ages like 12 to 99 are represented five different languages are represented um, it's a really stunning tapestry of voices in praise of the lake and in, in relationship with the lake. That's beautiful. Yeah, that. it's it's something. And your, let's talk about your poetry a little bit. Um, Prayers not meant for heaven. What is the? Mm. Um, tell me about that. Your book. Yeah, I was so excited was to see that you were, it was published. That was so exciting. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, I was I was excited to see it published too. Um, you know, you write poetry and you write and write it, and then someone finally thinks, "Okay, I'll publish this." Right. And it was really exciting, and I'm so grateful to Toad Hall Editions for bringing it forward. Um, let's see, the the most of those poems were written during the early part of the pandemic, so from that place of kind of um, isolation, and I had moved a lot towards a deeper relationship with this little quarter acre of land I'm on here. Um, growing food and flowers and uh, learning about permaculture. And I was thinking a lot about the different gods with a small g, different kinds of deities. I really believe in a divinity in all of life. And so some of the poems address um, specific divinities like of a tree or a certain kind of moth. Um, there's one that's like an angry poem that's entitled God of COVID. My daughter had COVID and I was, oh. I wrote a pretty, most of the, most of the prayers are really friendly. And that one isn't so friendly. That was like, you know, your rage at the gods. Yeah. It was like, that was the poem of rage, rage at the gods. But I, I think the idea in part, which is still the truth about the lake, the idea of the book prayers not meant for heaven is that prayer. One thing prayer is, is a form. It's, it's a form of attention. And I think of it as, consecrated attention, attention dedicated to the sacred. Mm. Um, anytime we dedicate our attention to the sacred, which then again, I believe is everywhere, we are praying, or I feel like I'm praying. And so in this idea, it, the prayer did not have to travel up and away from the earth, but could roll along and, you know, along, along the earth or, or move like a vine growing in your garden, um, just kind of intertwining everywhere and that it would be more immediate and maybe even useful to pray like that for now. Yeah, um, that's where the prayers are needed it, here. You know, <laughs> yeah, it definitely echoes my relationship with the lake, that that idea mm -hmm. of praying like that. What's been and your that prayer is also listening, I think, is an important aspect. What's been your most poignant moment during this vigil this year? Oh, wow. This year? Well, 
Terry Tempest Williams visited with her husband, Brooke, and they're both beautiful witnesses and writers. And, and she's of course, written about the lake. Yeah, her, yeah. her. I mean, she's written a lot about yeah. the lake, but famously in the book Refuge, yes, um, which was really, book. I think, yeah, an incredible relational book. And um, so there's a way, you know, of course, like, I feel like my work is in conversation with hers. And so to have her visit was incredibly <laughs> powerful. But the thing that was so poignant and also heartbreaking is we walked the shore together uh, with another friend. So the, there were four of us walking the shore. We were coming upon the bodies of dead grebes along the shoreline. Wow. And Terry said, we need to count them. And so we silently counted them um, as we walked. And we counted over 400. Uh, her count was 425, I think. Wow. And um, it was dizzying. And I talked to my biologist friend after. And she said that that mortality could actually be within the realm of natural mortality this year. But when I talked to my biologist friend, she really emphasized the word this year. And what she's saying there is as hard as that is to look at one tender body after another and their beautiful upturned faces, they kind of are under the water. They're really beautiful birds. And, um, you know, it's really grievous to be with their mortality. And you count 425 bodies individually, and it's a different experience than just saying hundreds of birds died, right? Like, right. it's like, oh, you're, that's a witness. It's a different kind of witness. And um, anyway, to the point of my friend who's a biologist, she said, well, this year they actually still had food, meaning next year they're very unlikely to. And that could mean that that mortality count, that that same walk, it might be exponential, what we see. Um, wow. And so mm -hmm. one of the most heartbreaking aspects and also holding this possible future even a probable future um and it doesn't mean we need to give up when we have that hard year but probably we'll have that hard year next year because these systems are already in collapse and um i don't know how bad it has to get before we turn around sometimes people turn around when you really can see it but i will say i saw a harrowing preview of, you know, not the most cheerful story, but it's part of the story and yeah. it's important. I saw the pictures that you shared on your Instagram page and it was heartbreaking. Like you said, there's tens, millions of birds that that visit the lake every year, whether they're living there yeah. or migrating. And if the lake's not there for them, you know what happens to those tens of millions of birds? Yeah. I mean, I think we don't even know how to think about it yet. We're, we're maybe a little collectively numb to this, but when the air is silent, when there's no one flying, no one's stirring the currents, who will we be? Mm. You know? Yeah. All the life, all the birds that we like notice, you know, in Salt Lake City where I live, they live in the lake, you know, that's, yeah. they're here because of the lake, yeah, they're all not the, just all the pelicans and, here. Yeah, yeah. yeah, exactly. Pelicans are in terrible peril mm -hmm. already. Mm -hmm. Um so, yeah, it's just like, who, who do we want to be in the face of this is one of the most important questions we could ask. I love that. And that's a good question yeah. for all of us to to take and think about, you know, who who do we want to be? Do we, do we stand by and, you know, let that golden hour pass? Or do, yeah. we, or do we jump in and and be there? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, it's, it's time to be incredibly present. Um, 
And nobody knows what to do. If you're listening and you think, I don't know what to do, just know I don't either. Mm -hmm. You know, like, it's like that. And please don't judge yourself. Like you're, you know, it's easy to feel lost as a, a person in the face of this, but what, what can save it? What can change it is our collective action. And then interestingly, that happens one individual at a time. Yeah. Um, so, but find community, you know, like build community, build a community of care around you, find the next person, you know, who cares and then ask each other, what can we do? It's a much more powerful question than what can I do? Wow. I love yeah. that. And, yeah. and where can people follow your vigil? Yeah. So on nanseymour.com is my website, the landing page. When you open that, you're, you can go right into the whole expression of the vigil and from there, you can follow a calendar of events. Um, you can also find that calendar calendar of events um, for both things that happen at the lake, but also like the meditation you could do from home at riverwriting.com slash events. So that's all right now. That's all lake stuff. And if you went on there, you could find a way to engage. Wow. Well, thank you for talking with me today. And thank you for bringing this plight, you know, to a really, a really human level a really, mm. a really loving level where, you know, we watch you every day showing great love mm. for this lake and encouraging us to, to show, to show our own love and to be involved in our own ways that, that this is our, this is our planet. You know, we yeah. don't, we, there's not a, there's not a plan B. <laughs> no, this is our only home indeed. And a lot of us really love this specific place and don't want to have to leave it. Yeah. I just really yeah. appreciate you, Perry, for holding up this um, lens of love to, I think that's the most powerful way to look in. Like, how can I better love this lake, this land, this environment? Like what, what will the act of love look like? Mm. Uh, and then you just keep moving in that direction imperfectly. That's how we're going to move. Right. Right. It's not about doing it perfect. It's about staying with it. About doing it. Um, yeah. yeah. And also in the name of love and the way that you're inviting. I, I appreciate that so much. Well, I appreciate what you're doing so much. It's been really inspiring to watch you and to see your photos and, and to read your posts. Um, mm, our, our, our hearts are with you. You know, you have a, a while to go still. Uh, but thank mm. you for what you're doing. Um, you're making a difference. So, thank you. Yeah. It means it's really heartening. Okay to have this conversation. I just want to thank you for it so much. Well, thank you, Nan. Well, um, stay warm, stay safe. And <laughs> I'll try. <laughs> we'll talk to you soon. All right. That sounds good. <laughs> and thank you for listening, um, podcast fans. And j just do what you do. Love what you love. Send it out there. Love can heal. Thank you for listening. Do you want more life and laughter? Check out my blog at lnlcoaching.com and find me on Instagram and Facebook at Life and Laughter Coaching. See you again soon. Mm -hmm.